welcome back to School of Science Radio. Uh, I'm Matthew Chandler. No Juno this week, but we are joined by RBM's own women's team expert and uh, fellow despairing Evertonian sitting after last night. Ian Decker. Ian, how are you doing, me? Hey, yeah, I'm uh, recovering from from last night's loss, but but otherwise I'm I'm doing all right. It's good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back on. Um, obviously, we thought we go over the uh, two games this week, which have kind of seen. Different ends of the uh, excitement spectrum, I think. Evan obviously going forth on on Thursday briefly after beating West Brom, and then and then uh, ending up in sixth last night after losing to Chelsea. Um, we'll also do a bit on the women's team later, since we got Ian on. Uh, they obviously had similarly disappointing weekend, but um, I think like Everton, their season is uh, certainly not dead and buried. So, lost to also get stuck into. Let's, let's start with West Brom then, even though this game feels about a year old now by this point, um, last Thursday. Um, so we made, uh, Ancelotti made, made two changes. Um, obviously Bernard came in for a Wobi. I mean, we obviously win the game through Charles in the end, but I felt like, um, you know, not a great performance from Everton, but but as they say, like that's the uh, it's a sign of a good team when you win when you don't play well. Um, and obviously, um, I think my my feeling on it was, like I said, even though we didn't play well, I think Ancelotti deserved a lot of credit from this one um, because the way we played for the first hour with this four four two with Bernard and it will be on the wings seems to really um, hinder us going forward. And the fact that he changed it with his subs, bringing on Alan Sigurdsson, I felt was really smart management because even if he didn't pick the right team to start with, perhaps the fact that he changed it, I I felt was um, was a really positive positive move and again showed just kind of what great what what fantastic tactical acumen he's got. How did you see how did you see the game? Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. It was it was quite the turnaround from the first time we played them. You know, five five two scoring slugfest, um, and this one they just kind of barely got the job done, but like you say, right. I mean, it's, they're going to be games that you have to win in an ugly manner. And this was one of them. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't think that many people would care the the scoreline as long as three points are secured. And, and that's what they did. Um, and again, I mean, they, they've had three games in, in a week and to a certain extent, you have to rotate the lineups to make sure that, that you're trying to be careful of injuries. So, you know, Bernard and, and Awobi came in and they did, enough of a job to kind of keep the team competitive and then the substitutions bringing in Alan also working him back into the squad because he you know he's been recovering from coming back from that injury from that hamstring pull um so I think I think the tactics were spot on I was I was happy to get the win um and you know I mean against a West Brom team that are that are fighting for you know fight fighting to stay up and you know they're going to be defensive you know they're going to try to spring on the counter and I thought I thought we looked as good as possible in in a game that we weren't the yeah. best. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I the, the West Brom guy I spoke to for the Q and A was saying that you know they've obviously changed the manager since the last time we played them and Allardyce come in they play a much much different way now, um, a lot less uh, porous at the back, um, and I think maybe it was just that uh, they obviously had one good chance with Deanne where Pickford makes that early sort of one handed save on the stretch, but. I felt it was a really kind of attritional first half and, and maybe West Brom kind of reduced us to their level more than 
more than anything else. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin obviously has that one that one good chance when he's through and fluffs, fluffs his lines. Um, but it just seemed a very bitty sort of very good game. Um, but what I would say is, and I think this is this has been noticeable the last few games certainly, maybe maybe not discounting Chelsea last night, but I think the defence has looked um, a lot more at ease, which I, I think has probably come from the sense of continuity. I mean, it was the same back four again with Dean Keane, Godfrey and Holgate and, and Pickford obviously keeping his place while Olsen's been out. Um, this was a th- this, I read this the first time he's kept three clean sheets in a row for Everton for the first time since, since May uh, 2019. Um I don't know about you. I just I never felt, and obviously West Brom had that chance at the end. But I I felt we always had maybe a, a control on things. Certainly at the back um, in this game, even if even if we weren't particularly outstanding going forward, I always felt comfortable in our defence to to do the job um, when they were needed to. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and and I think that 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 continuity comes with that same back four, with the exception of of Coleman coming in, uh, yeah. you know, in the derby. That that back four has been has been playing well together, and we've commented on it before. Godfrey is a much more natural partner for Michael Keane than Yerry Mina is. Yerry Mina brings a lot of toughness, a lot of physicality. He's great in the air, but Ben Godfrey is just much more athletic. He's quicker. Um, he can get a, a quicker read on the ball. And so that partnership has, has really flourished, you know, and then you get Dean back and Mason Holgate for all of the challenges he makes, he's a tough player. And I think that he's gelled well with that back line on, on the right side. And I think that that formation has been a big reason why they, they kept those clean sheets and they, they've been playing really well. I think Holgate's a good one to, to talk about because I think he, at times this season, maybe got a bit of you criticism he's not been not been as consistent maybe his last season but considering he's played a lot of times out of position at right back um and also I think part of it is maybe he's been overshadowed a bit by Godfrey because Godfrey's come in and it's this brand new signing and all the attention's on him and whatever but there is a sense I get sometimes with him where feels a bit half half arse maybe or just maybe a touch of overconfidence but I felt in this game he was pretty solid. Um, again, playing playing at right back is not easy when you're when you're more naturally a centre back. Um, I just wondered more generally because obviously you're not on every week. I just wondered more generally what your feelings on Holgate have been this season because I, like I said, I think he deserves to be cut a bit more slack than he gets because he's played at right back so often. I don't know how you how you see it with him. No, I, I agree. You know, and and still a relatively young player. Um, yeah. You know, to kind of, especially coming in for for Coleman, who's been at the club for years, and and trying to take over that role, that that's a tough ask. And again, being out of position, you know, he's more, you know, he's more comfortable as a center back. So for me, he's performed admirably. I, I think that he's done a good job. Um, I think that Coleman, you know, you want to start looking at that long term replacement, and if Holgate can be a player who can make that transition out to the wing, then I think you roll with it. Um, but, you know, I think bet- the, between him not being a natural right back and having to come in to deputize for Coleman, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think he should be cut more slack. And, and I think that overall he's, he's had a quality season. I don't, I don't think he's, he's going to be like the long-term answer. You know, I would still expect Evan to buy a right back. That, that feels to me like the most obvious 
area where we need to strengthen some, especially if Coleman's kind of on the slide now, given his age. And and if John Joe Kenny's not going to be involved, then you, you think we'll need certainly more quality in that department. But I think, you know, for the time being, and there is a lot to be said, I think, for con- continuity. You know, we've seen that with Tom Davies as well, I think, in midfield, haven't we? Just the fact that he's been given consistent string of games played in the same place and how much he's kicked on. Same with the defence, really, and, and with Holgate. I think he's times he can, he, ha, he has in the past maybe look ropey at right back. And it still does occasionally because it's not his natural position, but I felt against West Brom and in most games that he's played there, I feel like he maybe deserves more credit than he's got. Um, but I would I would say one player certainly does get a lot of, has got a lot of credit lately, is obviously Richarlison. Um Scored his score for the fourth game in a row uh, for Everton for the first time in his in his Everton career. Um, for, for me, I, I don't know. I don't know about you. I just think. Do you, I mean? I think Gino asked me this last week on the podcast, but um, I get the impression that Charleston wants to be a striker. Maybe, maybe that's not where he's naturally best best place. Maybe you know, with his skill set, he's better suited to playing out wide. But the fact that every time he gets the ball in any game, really, he looks to try and fashion a chance for himself to shoot. You know, the fact that he kind of seems to grow in a bit when he's taken off in games he hasn't scored in or when he wants to take penalties or whatever. You know, that says to me that his number one priority is to get on the score sheet. And while that can lead to maybe a bit of selfishness at times, I think in these last few games, it certainly worked to Everton's advantage um, because he's, he looked really... He's not really liberated and really in his element playing kind of either alongside Calvert-Lewin or more kind of as a lone striker. Um, is that what you, would you put that down to his kind of, his upturn of form, just that positional change and that sort of show of confidence in Ancel- that Ancelotti had in him? Yeah, and, and I think that's a big part is, is just kind of that relationship with Ancelotti and the manager believing in him. Um, look, through the first, what was it, 22, 24 games, he had three goals. And he's had four in, in the past four. Yeah. Um, and, and I think a stat flashed across the screen yesterday where he's he's the first Brazilian to score f- in four consecutive matches in, in the Prem, right? So the, the confidence, he's he's in great form. And and to me, a lot of times, he almost looks like a, a striker, like a natural nine up there, because he a lot of times he gets the ball with his back to, to the opposition goal, and, and he's just kind of holding up play. And then he takes it, you know, he takes a foul, he takes a hard touch. And, and wins, you know, wins a, a set piece. So for him, and, and like you say, his, but he has the speed on the wings and, and he is good at taking players on one-on-one. But yeah. I, I think that for him, it's, it's definitely a confidence thing. He's not he's he's, going to get forward and, and he's playing really well. Yeah. I mean, he's not, I think he's not a winger, is he? He's not like an out-and-out winger. He's like a, he's more of a wide forward than a winger. Right. And I think, um, I feel like maybe do you think he's shown those kind of like natural striker instincts with his goals as well? Because I feel like the Man City goal where he kind of hit the post and bounced in on if it, in off him, he's still got to be there to put it in. So it's kind of being in the right place at the right time. The Liverpool and the Southampton goals are more sort of clinical finishes, um, and then the West Brom goal, you know, off it, off his head, um, you know, was a was a reminder of even though he's not particularly tall, just like what fantastic aerial ability he's got. So it looks to me that he's, he has kind of got that that full skill set in terms of finishing anyway, even if he's not like the, the most 
a well-rounded striker. Certainly not yet, anyway. Yeah, and and also just the nose for goal. I mean, you look at some of the plays that he made. He's he's you know just kind of sitting on on the shoulder of the back line and making that run. You know, against Liverpool, he was sitting just off of of the center back and you know and and made that run and you know was able to finish there. So I and and I really like how I mean obviously Calvert Lewin is not he's not as clinical as he was at the beginning of the season, but I think that their partnership kind of it makes more sense to have both of them up top because they're both so quick that they can kind of float around and, and play off of each other. And I think that that has also really helped with Charleston. Yeah, I think you're right. A good point about Calvert-Lewin, actually, because I think even though he's not scored the last few, I think I think eventually, anyway, he will probably benefit more from having, which if, if he sticks with the Charleston up front, from having that partner, because I think, I think in a lot of the games where Calvert-Lewin doesn't score, it's not so much that he's missed chances, it's that he hasn't really had any chances. And although Richardson won't necessarily be feeding the chances to him, I think having an extra presence alongside him, I think, will, will work to Calvert-Lewin's advantage as well. Um, he should have buried that one against West Brom, shouldn't he? I mean, that was... Yeah. Um, he, was he was in and just... No, I know. I mean, that's the sort of finish that you, that you kind of associate with, with Calvert-Lewin as well, isn't it? Just kind of picking up loose, picking up... Feeling on scraps and, and finishing them. Um, I, what do you think? What did you think of Sigurdsson? I mean, he is obviously a very divisive player, gets a lot of stick, which I think partly is because of, the, of his transfer fee, which obviously isn't his fault. But I mean, what was that two goals and two assists in the in the, or sorry, a goal and two assists in the last three games before Chelsea um, came on? And and Ancelotti said afterwards that. He brought Sigurdsson on for that corner because he wanted like a, an in-swinging ball rather than Dean's kind of more floated. I mean, he and Alan, to be fair, both both made a massive difference, like we said, when they came on. Um, with with Sigurdsson, how do you feel about him? I mean, would you give him would you give him the uh, the the new contract that's been kind of mooted, or would you hold fire on that, or? Where do, you, where do you kind of stand with him at the moment? Because he seems to have yeah. at, least, at least found a bit of a new lease of life under Ancelotti this season. Yeah, and, and I think a big reason why he gets a lot of flack and there's all the criticism is that he, he's been a productive player, but the expectation, he hasn't lived up to the expectation. When, when, when we signed him from, uh, from Swansea, I mean, he was just an assist machine. He was, he was running their midfield. He was, he was a great player. And so I think along with the transfer fee, the expectations that that was the Sigurdsson that Everton were going to get, he hasn't matched that. But in terms of what he brings, look, Everton are, are a phenomenal headed team. We have yeah. nine, 10, you know, header goals leading the league this season. I've got more, well, I think we're second. But yeah, yeah certainly. We're certainly up right. There, so one of the, one of the top headed teams um, and, and Sigurdsson provides the service, you know, I mean, to have Dean on one wing, to have Sigurdsson in the middle of the pitch. And, and you look at how, when he does get the ball, he's comfortable threading the needle and, and sending players through. And on that play, you know, the first, you know, his, his first kick wasn't great and it, but, but it came right back out to him. He was, you know, 10, 10 feet closer and he hit another one in and, and found Richarlison. So I think for what the team's strengths are, um, I, I think that Sigurdsson is a good complement to that in terms of, of being strong in the air and, and needing service into the box. Would you give him that new contract yet, or would you kind of wait and see how the rest of the? Because he's got into the year, hasn't he? So would you would you 
kind of yeah I, I would wait um you know with with him being was he 32 33 something 31, like that 31 31 so you know as he gets older and and the speed goes even more um you know is is he going to be a valuable player i think right now he he brings a lot and and were his contract to end this season I, I would look to bring him back, but I don't see the harm in, in waiting one season and, and not tying yourself up to an aging player. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it can be, it would, I think it would see maybe slightly reactionary to give him a new contract yet. Because like you said, when his, when his deal runs out, he will be nearly 33. Um, and this has been, you know, a few good games. Um, not, not, not yet anyway, sustained run of form. And I think Everton, Everton need to kind of move on from, Maybe relying on older players like Sigurdsson um, more more heavily. Um, so, but I mean credit where it's due because he's got a lot of flack, you know, from me included. And West Brom again, he made a difference just like he did against uh, Southampton with his assist and and Liverpool from the penalty spot as well. Um, any other standouts? Any other people you wanted to call out for particular praise or even the other way if you want from this West Brom game? You know, I, I have been a big fan of Ben Godfrey's all season. Um, yeah. I, I I love the way he plays. I love how how competent of a center back he is. And and I love his versatility. I'm also a big fan. Some of the best clips of the season have been him just bringing the ball, you know, 60, 70 yards up the pitch, you know, carrying it and, and just blazing past players. And that's a lot of fun to watch. And And for a young player, to kind of be displaying that confidence level, I think is great. And, and I'm really excited for, for him moving forward. And I think that he's been, I think he's been one of the, the standout performers this season. I, I really, I really enjoy his game. Yeah. He's a very likable player, isn't he? And he I think he, he kind of fits kind of profile for what most Everton signings should be in terms of not just his age, but also his, his versatility, his tenacity, his, you know, his, his work ethic. Um, very easy, I think, to see why so many people are enamored with Godfrey. Um, and like, like I agree with you, I thought he was really solid uh, alongside Michael Keane, who is another one who I think, yep. I, think he, I think he does get the credit he deserves mostly Michael Keane, but um, certainly he's come on leaps and bounds from maybe looking, being more kind of up and down player under Marco Silva and Sam Allardyce. Um, I think he's really found a consistent High level performance under Ancelotti. Um, just going to run through some of Pete's stats from this game. Um, like you said, four, four and four for Charleston. Uh, Everton scored the most, or well, at the time of writing, anyway, Everton had scored the most heavy goals in the league. Um, and Gilfie Sigurdsson, actually, his contribution in the last eight games had been eight goals, which was, which is not bad. <laughs> um, certainly not bad. Three goals and five assists um, for Sigurdsson. Which I think is more than he got all of last season. So um, I know two of those got two of those goals from the penalty spot, but right, he's a very cool penalty taker as well, isn't he? So uh, very reliable. Uh, P also made a good point about Calvert Lewin. He said, um, you know, despite what every he says, despite what every commentator and pundit seems to think, Dominic Calvert Lewin is far from a great finisher, as you could see from his massive first half chance that he hit straight at the keeper. And the second half chance, he looped way over the bar. That's not to shame him. What he's great at is finding great positions while his hold-up plays second to none. But if you give him a bit of time to think about it, and even worse, a few touches, it's not the guaranteed goal. Somewhat a few. I think that's. I think I, I agree with Pete. I think he's a 
I think maybe Ting is not a great finish. I can understand why you're saying that, but I think I think what this showed me about Calvert Lewin is that he's still got a fair way to go in his development. You know, just because he's he's kicked on so much doesn't mean he's finished Arsenal yet. I think actually he's only scored two uh, two goals under Ancelotti, which haven't been with his first touch in the Premier League out of what twenty something. So. You know, in a way, I have, to, I have to say the West Brom chance. I, Pete makes. I agree with what Pete's saying about him taking a touch because you're so used to him kind of finishing first time that when he took that touch, you almost. I almost immediately felt less sure that he would stick it in because it didn't kind of maybe come so naturally to him and and um, didn't just trust his instinct and go for the first time. I mean, how do how do you see it with with Calvert Lewin? Do you think? Maybe the early season form was kind of a bit of a freak, or do you think he's still playing well enough and just not having as much luck? Do you think? Do you agree with Pete that he's still got a lot of ways to go in his development? I mean, what, what have you made of him lately? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I, I think that's really fair, and and especially look at West Brom, right? He takes a touch, he gives a goalie an extra second to come out and and close yeah. down the angle, right? And and where a first touch would have kind of left the goalie flat footed, and, and Johnson did a good good job of of coming out. So I think for that, it's it's totally fair, and and we have seen how clinical he can be with his first touch. Um, but you know, in looking at his development, I I would love to. To, to believe that he has another level to hit, right? I mean, look at the strides he's made from last season to this season, you know, and, and he's one of, you know, he's he's really been a quality player for us. So to think that he has another level to reach, you know, I, I don't know, can he can he develop into that 20 goal scoring type of striker, um, right? And kind of what are these little areas that he can clean up in his game? And, and I think that that's, that's one of those is, is kind of the first touch and, and working the goalies, manipulating space so that he can beat the goalies and, and find the open spaces. I think that's the next step in it for him. I think his one such finishing is is second to none. I think his all round game is maybe I think probably better than Lukaku's was when he was at Everton actually. But I think in terms of finishing, I would still favour Lukaku over Calvert Lewin because I think Lukaku was more I think deadly, still more prolific than Calvert Lewin was as well. Um, but I don't think we can also we, we can't underestimate how many headers Calvert Lewin wins. You know how how good he is at bringing other people into play. What an aerial threat he is further down the pitch, not just from corners or set pieces. Um, and that that I think that is his next step, just adding that extra sort of lethal edge to his finishes. Um, he's also picked out Pickford, obviously three clean sheets, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's for the Chelsea game, but 2.2 points on average on the road this season. Um, I wanted to ask you about this, actually, because as, as, a, as a fan who normally would go to these games, I guess my, my view is less impartial than yours might be. But what do you think of... I mean, do you think that is solely down to just no crowds? Because like, like I said, I could see kind of what... I've seen more kind of maybe firsthand what impact crowds can have. And they do have an impact. But... Is it unfair, do you think, to say Everton have only improved because there's no crowds? Yeah, and that, that's a great point. I actually wrote about this. Uh, I touched on this briefly in, in my three thoughts against West Brom. Um, and it, it, 
interesting, right? Because I think that the lack of crowds absolutely makes a difference. And, and to a certain extent, Everton have benefited certain players in particular um, who, who maybe kind of struggle with, with that and, and how much of a difference a crowd noise makes. I, I, I definitely look at, at the Derby game and, and how much of, of an impact no fans at, at Anfield had on the team. But on the flip side, you know, even without fans, you're playing Premier League opposition. You know, th- these are some of the best players in the world. And to, to still be getting results, like it's, it's one thing to say, well, there are no fans. They should be winning anyway. Like it's not as hard that, 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 you know, it shouldn't diminish the accomplishment of actually winning these games. Right. It's one thing to say, well, they should win, but they are getting the results. Um, so I, I think while it does make, make an impact, the not having fans on the team, I think that the team sh- should still be commended for, for the results that they're pulling out. Yeah, and you you mentioned in this in your three thoughts uh, piece that it feels like those kind of mental hurdles are being overcome and, and they're like you're saying becoming a more resilient sort of stronger side in that from that point of view. And I don't I agree. I don't I don't think you can just say well there's no fans there because it's the same for the same for every team, isn't it? It's not like just Everton have had this advances. Right. Right. Um, and obviously that works that works the other way when saying it's it's. It's just it's just the the empty Goodison, which is why we struggle at home. I don't think you can pin it solely on that because uh, every every team has an empty stadium to play in at the moment. Um, but I, I would expect for me, I, I would I would expect this to be better than we we previously have been away um, when when fans come back, but maybe not maybe not as good as we have been this season. But certainly an improvement on what we saw in the and the previous managers where, you know, we would wilt or we, we would we would not even try and win games or or you know just look so feeble and and and, and you know I think I've already seen Ancelotti Ancelotti's already won more away games than Marco Silva and Ronald Koeman combined, which um I don't think you can just say is down to the crowds. I think there's more to it than that. And, Maybe these games are kind of more important in a way because these are the kind of games that struggle to get over the line. You know, they struggle to find a way to break teams down, even if this one was away. So I felt like this was a really, really uh, significant win, not just because until Chelsea beat Liverpool a couple of hours later, it put us fourth. Um, Chelsea then obviously went and beat us on Monday um, to complete a, a Merseyside double uh, and leave Everton. A little bit behind, not too far behind, but a little bit far behind in the in the race of the Champions League. Now we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get into Monday's defeat at Stamford Bridge. Okay, we're back with Ian. Um, got less happy things to talk about now. We're going to talk about Everton's uh, annual defeat at Stamford Bridge. Um, 2-0, Everton went down yesterday to Chelsea. Still haven't won there since 1994. Still haven't even scored a league goal there since 2016. Um, and I saw someone say on Twitter that it feels like every every trip to Stamford Bridge looks the same for Everton. <laughs> um, it certainly felt like that watching it yesterday, didn't it? Felt like we've seen that game so many times before. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at kind of the last, you know, they're, um, Everton haven't won it at uh, Stanford Bridge, 26 straight games. Yeah, it's just, you go and you kind of think, yeah, I mean, you know, we beat them earlier in the season 1-0 at home and, and you know, home games, do we have a chance? And you think maybe, you know, with with such, um, you know, such great away form in recent games, can we go and can we finally get a result in, in London? But 
it just, it just wasn't meant to be. And, and I mean, from the, from the opening kick, they, they just looked flat and, and Chelsea came out really with, with just a, just a better spirit. And, and that carried throughout the game. Um, we've made two changes. Um, Alan, Alan, Alan Sigerson were rewarded for their kind of cameos at West Brom with a start. Decore, who obviously we've heard since then has been, since the game is, suffered an injury and will be out for at least a few weeks. He dropped out, so did, so did Bernard. Um, it felt like we changed more to a back five yesterday with, with wing-backs, uh, as Luca Dean and Alex Iwobi. Um How did you feel that went? I I am not a fan of, of Alex Iwobi as a wing-back. I, I think that his he brings a lot to the table he is crafty on the wing he has good speed he can get forward he's good at bringing the ball infield and, and picking a pass across the field um and he he's shown a pretty decent scoring touch this season but in that in his skill set you know defending is not included in that he no. he gets he gets dragged far out wide and and he's he's too easily beaten when he drops back he doesn't he doesn't look confident as a defender and and so for me and and what really frustrates me about it is that Iwobi's a quality player but Ancelotti tried him as a wingback earlier in the season and it didn't work so to see him you know come in against Chelsea I, I just thought that the tactical decision to have Iwobi as a wingback I, I feel like Ancelotti got it wrong well I would say with the wing back thing, I would say, okay, he played as a left wing back against Leeds, um, where which didn't work, and with Tom Davies as the other wing back, um, and you know, to the surprise of probably absolutely nobody, um, it didn't work. I mean, last time we reverted to, I think he brought Delphon, didn't he? Just <laughs> yeah, yep. You know, as a last resort. Um, the week before, he played right wing back against Fulham, and. While I think it will be well there, I just felt that the Fulham game was like the polar opposite of the Chelsea game. I've written, I wrote a piece about this for the, the site today, and I just kind of said that Fulham away, certainly then, before they kind of uh, bolstered the defence or you know improved the defence, because now they look really good defensively. But then it felt like it will be had a lot more of a license to drive forward, and I know Fulham scored twice, but he didn't really have much defending to do that day. Chelsea just felt the complete opposite of that. Felt like a lot more was going to be asked of him defensively. Um, he wasn't going to have that ability to kind of roam and, and make these mazy runs forward. And I think, I think Chelsea probably showed that right wing back is not his position ultimately because he hasn't got the discipline, like you said, to play there. Um, I mean, for the, for Chelsea's opening goal with Chalonzo, um, uh assists, Alonso who I, I felt was probably just meant to be man-marked by a Wobi all game. And Wobi just leaves him, doesn't he? I mean, Holgate, it's not great from Holgate because Holgate seems to kind of vacate that space as well. But it will be just has to track Alonso and he just completely loses sight of him, doesn't he? And I think that therein lies Iwobi's kind of defensive deficiencies. Yeah, not- and, and I think too, well, if, if you look at kind of the, the strength of the opposition, you know, maybe his, his defensive weaknesses aren't exposed as much against a Fulham, who are yeah. a quality team, but, you know, it's not Callum Hudson-Odoi and, and Marcus Alonso on the wings, you know, who are just going to be exposing him and, and putting that ball in behind. So I, th- I think that's where Chelsea were really able to exploit his defensive deficiencies. Yeah, and I think 
that attack did worked at Anfield the other week, but we had, we didn't have where we'll be playing there. We had James Coleman, who right. I don't know. You, you could you could say that Liverpool are going the opposite direction to Chelsea at the moment as well, but Coleman's obviously uh, you know a much better defender and a much more recognised defender than Iwobi. And he did a really good job in kind of marking Robertson out of that game. Iwobi doesn't have the same skill set. And again, I have some sympathy with him and with Ancelotti because we were so down to the bare bones yesterday that if you want to play Godfrey and Holgate in that back four, uh, back three, then I'm not really sure who else could have played right wing back. Then we had Kyle John on the bench, but that's, that's about it really. Um, so it, it maybe was a case of needs most. I just think long term is not something we should be pursuing. Um, because it won't be somewhat comfortable there, did he? He didn't look comfortable at all yesterday, right? And and I oh. think too, I think initially the Ancelotti was expecting Mason Mount to be in, in the starting 11, and and he's a player who just he roams around the field. And, and I think that Ancelotti was trying to match Iwobi with Mount and and kind of compensate for the speed. And when Hudson and Doy came in, the, the back three was was left really exposed. I think the back three would have been effective with Iwobi as a wingback um, had Mount been in the game. But when he was on the bench to start, I think that really caught Everton by surprise and, and they paid the price yeah. for it. Well, Mount more kind of floats around, doesn't he? Whereas, right. whereas Hudson and Doy and Alonso are much more direct wingers, right. aren't they? So, I, yeah, I, I see what you mean. It's It felt more of a mismatch, even, you know. Alonso and Hudson are doing not not the best in the league in their position, but even still, just felt like they caught it would be out and they targeted him. Um, where do you where do you what how do you feel about it will be then? Do you feel because my my feeling is like we were saying before about consistency and continuity. I think if he got a run of games in a position, which a position that suits him, not right wing back, maybe I think that's probably a number ten. Um, I think that would that would be kind of his acid test. You know, it could make or break him. Um, rather than kind of just floating between all these different positions from every week. Um, and also, if we're going to stay with this narrow midfield, which which I, I like because it's helped us get rid of them, grind out results, I don't really see where else we could play other than that number 10. Because we don't play with wingers and he's not a right back. So... Yeah, for me, I would give him a game, run a game in number 10. Um, how, how do you feel? Would you, I don't know, would, would you start him? Would you give him a chance or see him kind of maybe best as a sub now? Yeah, I think obviously he's, you know, he's he's not a defender. We, we can't play him there. I, I like how much he, he works to get forward, how much he's looking to push the ball up the field, how, how he has an attacking mind. Um, and, and I think that's fair. I, th- I think a lot of times in, in Ancelotti's system, when players are having to be shifted around, they, there isn't that continuity. They can't get a run of games in, in a certain position and get, fam- you know, get familiarized with that position. And I think that Iwobi is, is someone who's been at the detriment of that decision, um, right? He hasn't gotten one game where he can, a uh, consistent string of games where he can say, this is my position. These are my responsibilities. This is what I'm being asked to do. He's kind of floating around the pitch. Um, and so for me, I would look, I mean, another guy who has a big price tag and, and there's a lot of expectations around him. Um, I, I would like to see him for, as of now, I don't think he's gotten a full chance to show what he can do. And, and I think he deserves that chance. And I'd like to see what, what he could give the team in, in just a purely attacking role and, and forget about the defensive, you know, responsibilities and just let him attack and go forward. Yeah. He, he feels very much a kind of, 
not a luxury player, but just kind of feels a bit of a loose cannon in, in terms of you're maybe not even sure if he knows what he's going to do next. Right. Um, I don't think he is. You know, he always seems kind of out of sync with the rest of the team's game plan. I think that's kind of I just doesn't feel maybe as tuned into what the rest of the team are doing, which which isn't terrible. I mean, you know, off off the cuff or you know just on instinct. He can make some really good moves. He's, he's a fantastic dribbler. You know, he's certainly got assets. Um, and I don't really... I'm not saying you are, but I don't... I, I feel a bit sorry for him with the price tag thing because it's not... That's not his fault. And I think at times it gets exaggerated maybe how much I haven't really paid for him. Um, but however much you pay for him, I think it's fair to expect more than two goals and two assists in 49 league games. You know? Um... And I think last night just proved it felt like a lot of the same old bad habits came up last night for Everton. But I think if we learn anything new, it's probably that it will be not. Well, maybe it's not new, but certainly, you know, if we tell you anything from that game, it's kind of confirmation that he's not a right wing back. Um, on the game more generally, I just felt, I don't know about you, I, I find this kind of defeat the easiest one to get over because um, I just felt we were outclassed, really. And there's no. There's no shape. We didn't disgrace ourselves like we did last year there. Um, losing 4-0 this time a year ago. Um, but we've been by a much better team who obviously, you know, on the crest of a wave at the moment under Tuchel. You add, you, you add that, add to that the fact that it was our third game in seven days. We're playing a much better team, like I said. We've got two rookie goalkeepers and, and I think four four outfield members of the, and the 23s on the bench. Like I said, you can tell just from like the Obi decision that Ancelotti didn't didn't have a lot of alternatives there. I think when you when you consider all those kind of contextual factors, I was kind of over last night's defeat by you know five ten minutes after full time. Right, and it's kind of one of those where it's it's like a perfect storm of of all these factors coming together. Where you go into the game and and you say, okay, we theoretically we have a chance, but realistically looking at, uh, at everything that is, is coming into this game, you know, youth players on the bench, you know, the third game in, in a week, trying to rotate the the starting 11 to, to avoid injuries against a team that is in really good form at home. You know, it just, it never felt like a game that we were truly in. And, and so in that regard, I absolutely agree. You know, it's kind of one of those games that you watch, it happens, you know, it, it's a defeat, but you don't dwell on it because, you know, it's, you know, we didn't have, you know, a, a full squad. There weren't a ton of chances, and and just everything that went into the game made it so that it was not one that you go into saying, "Okay, this is going to be a really back and forth game" or whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty easy to get over. Yeah, and what made I think the Man City defeat last month worse was that, well, well, maybe not that game, but the Fulham game worse was that we went and lost to Man City after it, so it came three straight defeats. Had we had we beaten Fulham, for example, then the Man City game, which I think everyone expected us to lose. Is, is more forgivable. I think we. I will get over this defeat even more if we now go and beat Burnley, Palace, Brighton. You know, and if we get back some points out of them, which I wouldn't put it past us, um, that'll be six wins at the last seven league games, which is, which is you know as good as really as you can expect from a team that's as as depleted as Everton. I think. Um, so it is about how we react to this one rather than... I don't think last night really defined us. 
because I think even though we are very close to Chelsea in the league, they look much better team than us. And I think maybe I I hadn't watched loads of them before yesterday, but you can certainly tell what an impact Tuchel's has since he came into Lampard, and and I'd be very surprised if we. If the, I think it's four points between us now, having played a game fewer than them, but I'd be very surprised if that points totally similar or even less than that by the end of the season. Yeah, um, and, and I, think, I think that's a great point where, you know, Ancelotti has, has been our coach, right? And and he's establishing his identity. He's working with the team. He, he's looking to, to improve. And I, you see this with Chelsea all the time. They rotate managers, you know, two, three times a year. And, and you know, a manager comes in and immediately gets success. You know, the Antonio Conte effect where he comes in, it's new ideas. The team really responds well and they go on this tear and then the next season, you know, the, the form drops, the results stop coming and, you know, they cycle in a new manager. And, and so I think that that Chelsea are definitely riding that wave of Tuchel's coming in. They have a new, they have new ideas. You know, Lampard wasn't getting the job done, but, but now they have this new voice who's really helping their team. And, and I think that they're on that uptick and it's just kind of, when are they going to crash back down, um, which is kind of an inevitability with, with Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I would also say that, whether or not they they kind of crash as as Chelsea normally do eventually in the managers, I think irrespective of that, you have to say that they just have so much more strength and depth than us as well. Fair, like their bench fair, yesterday, fair. their bench yesterday was what Mason Mount, Pulisic, Kante, we've run Bernardi's probably going to leave, um, Josh King who's out of contract in the summer, uh, someone else who came on whose name escapes Tom, me. Tom Davis. Tom Tom Davies came on to me, who has looked better lately, but is uh, probably not fully fit yet. Um, you look at Chelsea too, you know, Chilwell, Ziyech, yeah. Rudiger, you know, Thiago Silva. Yeah, it's, it's a complete mismatch, isn't it? So, yeah. like I said, we have improved in the run Chelsea. And last night didn't wasn't enough to suggest otherwise. I think it was a bump in the road. I, I think, like I said, you'd be much more concerned if we don't beat Burnley on Saturday. Uh, Jordan Pickford I thought was very good last night um, I know he obviously gave away the penalty which I thought was maybe a bit clumsy um, on Kai Havertz who I thought was the best player on the pitch but um, apart from that they couldn't really do anything about the first goal it just takes an unfortunate uh, deflection of Godfrey but, I mean, what did you think half... about that? Did you think that it was going wide initially? To me, I don't know, maybe this is my um, bias coming in. It looked like it was going wide. And even if it was on target, I thought Pickford got a good jump on it and that, that he would have made it. I think it, it was going wide, but I don't think it was anyone's fault. Apart from, like we said, like we said before, it will be in Holgate. Right. I don't think Godfrey could be blamed at all for getting involved. Agreed. But I don't think Pickford would do anything to stop it. But, like I said, I just thought Pickford, apart from that, and the penalty, I thought, you know, the times at the end of the game when it got more stretched and, you know, it's basically game over. Chelsea could have easily scored, you know, three, four, five. Um, and he's brilliant. I mean, his save after save from Werner. There's a good double save, I think, at the end from Werner and Kante, I think. Um, yep. And I mean, no clean sheet last night, but I I felt that was the one positive Everton could take that he, for the most part, kept his good run of form going. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was he was two percentage points short of of, of a 90 percent save percentage. You know, he, he stopped oh, really? eight of nine eight of nine shots, and um, you know, kind of the got got a late jump on on the penalty, and and was unfortunate to to take Havertz down, um, who'd made a good run. But 
again, I mean, you know, three straight clean sheets, you know, he's, it looks like that, you know, I mean, he's such a mercurial player. It, it's all about confidence with him. And it looks like he has that confidence now. He, he's made several saves that, that have been really big saves um, going back, you know, three games, going back to the Derby this game. Um, and, and I thought that, yeah, I mean, the, the deflection goal, you know, ricocheting off of Godfrey's leg, you know, Pickford was already diving the, the wrong way. Nothing he could do about that. And, and the penalty, you know, he was a little bit late off his line. But other than that, I thought he had a really spectacular game. Yeah, he, he did really well last night. You just want to keep, see him keep it going because uh, I always feel like Pickford's biggest enemy is himself. You know, yep. he feels like he beats himself in these games and he looks to be getting over that in these last few. Just needs to keep it up um, because he his form will obviously be so crucial to Everton's season. Because I always feel a bit sorry for goalkeepers and that if an outfield player makes a mistake, it might not cost a goal. If a goalkeeper does, it invariably ends up conceding a goal. So um, We've certainly seen less of that with Pickford. Um, really, really, Stolson came in, I think, apart from maybe the, the Tielemans goal against against Leicester. He hasn't really made any sort of glaring blunders. And again, last night, I thought he was our best player. Uh, I don't really want to dwell too much more on this game because it, it, you know, it was what it was, wasn't it? Um, just going to go through some of Pete's stats again. Uh, one that he points out, which is slightly worrying, is the fact we haven't won a game that we were losing at half time since September 2015. Um, which I actually, did you feel confident at all that we would get anything out of that from the moment we fell behind? I mean, not necessarily win, but even a draw. No, just just from when when you know when we came out, they 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 just looked like they were running down our throats and and just really kind of dictating possession. When that, yeah. it, it kind of felt like an an inevitability when like kind of when Chelsea would score, when they would win. I I didn't feel like we were really in that game at, at any point yesterday. No, I didn't really like we said. I didn't feel like we had the options on the bench to change it either, did we? So kind of had to play the hammer with Dalton and, and um, didn't really. I mean, the fact we only had one shot on target and it was that Gomez sort of speculative effort which Mendy saved. And, you know, even the change in shape uh, in the second half didn't really change anything to do. It was just maybe slightly, but Chelsea were too good and we just were out of ideas. And I think it's forgivable, but it just it never felt to me like we're going to get back into it. Pete also pointed out, uh, you know, for the expected goals, tally Chelsea's was... Just over 2.5 to Evans, which was 0.27. Um, pretty much sums up how the game went, really, um, and how important Pickford was. Uh, who Pickford, eight saves, three big, three big chances saved. Um, it's a pretty good ratio for for him. Um, P also points out the sort of imbalance in Everton's attack. Um, he said even even with a player actually playing at right wing back. Uh, in a Wobi for most of his match. Much of Everton's attacking play came down the left, 43% to 31.5% in the right, and obviously the rest of the midfield. I think that pretty much sums up as well. Our, our left flank is obviously a lot stronger than our right with Luca Dean and, and you know, before he went up front with Charlton. Um, and just go back to what I said before about, you know, if we didn't learn anything new in this game, it felt to me like this was another thing that we already knew and just came came to the fore again yesterday was that Everton's right side is a weakness and it's probably the one area that they need to address more than anywhere else this summer. Um, and I think 
we'll probably just leave it there because I think that was anything else you want to anything else you took away from this game or no you know I just, I just think it's it's kind of one of those classic games where you go in and, and the opponent is is stronger and and it's just kind of it's a game where the the stat sheet reflects the the final score right sometimes you have a game where a team you know has 20 shots and 10 on goal and but they somehow lose um I, I thought last night's you know kind of 19 shots for Chelsea nine on goal you know, seven corners. I thought that that was a more accurate reflection of the game um, and, and kind of an unfortunate one, kind of the, the right time for them, wrong time for us, but but that's about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just one of those days frustrating, but I think we'll move on pretty quickly. Um, after the break, we're going to talk about the, the women's team. Um, unfortunately, not much better news there this weekend, but uh, certainly a lot for me and Ian to get stuck into. So we'll be back shortly. All right, we're back. Uh, we're going to talk about the women's team now because Ian is our sort of chief uh, women's team writer um, at RVM. Uh, Ian, they lost 1-0 on uh, Sunday to yep. um, to Manchester City, which I think was the, was the third time they've lost to City this season, I think, the two lead the games. Fourth. fourth time. Fourth, yep. Um, I mean, yeah. Like it was kind of a, a gallant effort and, and you know, obviously a late goal um, that, that, that cost Everton in the end. But, I mean, generally, I think we, we said this to you last time, but I know their form has kind of tailed off since that sort of lightning fast start to the season. Have, have you been underwhelmed or disappointed or do you think generally they are where they should be at the moment? I think overall, I think they are where they should be. Um, they'll they they are kind of the the best of the rest. They're they're not quite on the same level as as Chelsea and, and Man City, who've definitely established themselves as the top two sides. Um, you know, and it's it's weird though because Everton, you know, they they got a two one win in, in the FA Cup against Chelsea, so that was a huge win. They they they've beaten Manchester United in uh, in the Continental Cup this season and. You know, so they've they've had those games where they look competitive, but then they've lost to City 3-0 in the league. They've lost to Arsenal 4-0 in the league. They've lost to Chelsea 4-0 in the league. So it's kind of the tale of two games where it's, you know, and and this past weekend, they they had a game plan. They they played a back five. They were looking to, to sit back in a low block, defend, soak up pressure, and then break on the counter if they could. They won a couple corner kicks. They, they couldn't convert anything, but the game plan was, was strong. And they were, you know, nine minutes away from, from executing a, a really solid game plan. You know, Kira Walsh, the Man City broke down the wing and um, Lauren Hem sent a ball in and Kira Walsh just, you know, picked the bottom corner past, past McKeever. Um, so it was, it was a great play. But, you know, they were nine minutes away from keeping a clean sheet against a team who was in excellent form. Um, City have, I think in their past eight games, have scored 32 goals and conceded twice, um, you know, before coming into the game against Everton. You know, they've been dominating in the Champions League. They beat Fiorentina 3-0. So it, it was it was another game where a, a nil-nil draw would have felt like a win. Um, and, and they have these games where you look at the FA Cup final, it took two goals in the second half. Of, of added time you know I, I think City scored in the 119th and 122nd minute to get that win you know the teams were were locked at one apiece for a majority of that game so they have these results where they, they play the the top sides really well and then they have other games where they just 
I don't know if it's a lack of focus or the, the game plan, game management just isn't there where they get blown out, where it's, it's just kind of, they're, they're so close. When they're on, they're so close. When they're off, they're, they're pretty far away. I think um, they got Birmingham on uh, Thursday. Um, I think especially because they got Chelsea after that who are, who are top of the league. And I know they lost recently, but that was their only defeat this season, wasn't it? Um, do you think Birmingham is a good game or do you think it maybe puts more pressure on them because the recent results and the fact they got Chelsea next week, they have to win? I mean, how, how do you see that one? Yeah, I, I for me, it's, it's definitely one of those where you look at um, the, the team is anything but a win will be seen as a disappointment. Um, Willie Kirk, the manager has been, been very vocal about the the team needing results. They, they went through a stretch where um, they, they were tying games against teams that they, they realistically should have beaten. One of which was Birmingham. They, they tied them one, 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 they, they tied Reading one, one, um, you know, they, they kind of eked out a win over Tottenham three, two. And so he's been very outspoken about needing to win games where they've dropped points. And so I think that that, that puts a lot of pressure on the Birmingham city game, um, especially with Chelsea coming up. Cause I, I don't see that being a winnable, a winnable fixture. And so I think that the Birmingham city game has a lot more emphasis on they, they need to take the three points cause they probably won't get it against Chelsea. Um, but kind of after that, then you get, three games against, you know, against the Brighton Villa and West Ham, which are, are three winnable games. They could, they could go on a run there. But I, I think that the Birmingham city game is, is big because to, to drop even, even to drop two points with, with a tie would be, would be a bad result for them. Yeah. And you look at it, the the three points clear Reading in, in six, haven't played a game for you, but then uh, obviously if you don't beat Birmingham and then, like you said, you don't expect them to, really get three points against Chelsea you you kind of go into the kind of business end of the season still got to play uh, Arsenal Man United as well and then maybe needing results to try and chase the European places down I mean is the European you have to remind me is it the top three or four I forget the top three get Champions League they, they expanded it this season so the top three will get it yeah I mean they are some way off that, aren't they? That's not going to happen. You wouldn't think now, but yeah, 13, um, 13 points off yeah. of, of United, and they have a game in hand. But but even that, I mean, United have have proven to be a quality side. Even Arsenal, you know, Man United and Arsenal are, are kind of fighting for that final spot. Arsenal are six points off of that, um, so that'll it's even a push for them. So I think that the the best fifth would be would be a fair result if if they could somehow make up a seven point gap in with no games on hand in hand against Arsenal that would be pretty miraculous. But I I think that the, they'll be looking to finish at least in fifth. I mean, given they finished sixth last year before the season got curtailed because of COVID, do you do you see a lot of progress? Yeah, I I, I do, and and where I see it is is one is, you know, we talk about continuity a lot and Willie Kirk is finally, the, the players know his system. They bought into the system. They know it's what's expected of them. And if you look at his recruitment, I mean, he, they were able to bring Jill Scott back on loan who just, you know, the other week hit yeah. 150 caps for, for England. They brought in Valerie Govan, who is the starting nine for, for France, you know, top, top five team in, in the world. Right. And so the recruitment has, has been great. They brought in Haley Rasso. They brought in Izzy Christensen. Christensen yeah. um, right. And so the, 
the recruiting has been really good, as has the development. You look at some of the, the players, Megan Finnegan and uh, Rika Saveka in center back, uh, Sandy McIver in net. McIver is the one I was going to say. Did he, right. did he sign Sandy? I think he signed Sandy McIver. Mm-hmm. Well. Yep. Mm. Yeah, when, when she finished out of uh, Clemson. She came through Man yeah. City's youth, yeah. youth team and then went to, to Clemson here in the U.S. and then went back and, and was signed by Everton. So I think that looking looking forward, you know, and Alicia Lehman, who is, you know, a, a young Swiss striker, they, they got her on loan from, from West Ham. So I think that the recruiting and just the, the overall um, kind of managerial ideas that Willie Kirk has implemented definitely has them trending in the right direction. And, and I'm excited at least for this summer to see who else they bring in, because what, I mean, one of the best decisions that kind of one of the best transfers he made was Ingrid Mowold at, at right back, um, who has just been a standout. She's kind of a, you know, she, she gets up the pitch. She, she's an out and out defender. And so for me, the, those are places where I look at the team is the longer Willie Kirk has in charge, the better the recruitment gets and the more stable the team becomes because players know what, what's expected, what it means to be, be an Everton player and, and what that looks like. Uh, Ingrid Mowell went off with injury, didn't she, I think, against Man City. Did that look, I mean, I think Everton have got enough strength and depth there to cover and I don't, I don't know how bad it, you, you felt it looked. I mean, do you... Yeah, she, she would she be a big loss if she's not able to play in these next few years. Yeah, she 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 would definitely be a big loss. Um, she's been you know kind of the one of the first names on the team. She penciled in. She was in a walking boot and crutches after the game. Um, I I have not read any any reports in terms of the the length of the injury, but but she would be a big loss. I don't know if Kirk would try to go for a uh, a back a back three and try to try to shift it around. He, he could try to put, um, you know, a player like Haley Rasso back at right back, who, who is, has played on the right wing a good deal and, and try to cover there, but they don't have a realistically a, a like for like replacement. Poppy Pattinson, who's a natural left back, she could come in on the right side. Um, but, but losing Wold would be, would be a big blow for them. She, she's been vital to the team this season. So overall then, do you think, was it kind of similar to the men's team against Chelsea in that, you know, you never want to call it a defeat like an acceptable result, but did this City game feel more easy to stomach than most defeats? I did. Yeah, I, I do mm. feel that way. And and especially because for a majority of the game, you know, if you looked at the body language of, of City's players, they, they were dejected. They were, you know, they just looked flustered and, and, and frustrated. And I think that they came into the game thinking, okay, you know, we're, we're coming off of this, you know, string of form where it's you know we're we're scoring goals like like nothing like nobody's business and, and we just won Europe uh convincingly and we're against an Everton team where you know Jill Scott wasn't playing because she, she was ineligible um due to being on loan from City and so I think that they came in and, and their body language late in the game when they were so flustered reflected the fact that Everton had frustrated them throughout the entirety of the game you know the game plan was was successful and there was one point where Alex Greenwood took a set piece and, and she played a, a pretty quality ball into the box and no one got on the end of it and it was cleared out. And you saw afterwards and she was just kind of like her head was down. She was slumped. She was shaking her head. And, then, you know, and so I think for a majority of, of the game, Everton looked really, really good. And, and they even had me believing, <laughs> you know, going into the last 10 minutes that maybe a point would be able to, to be salvaged. But, but, you know, I mean, City are, are a great team and, pretty much boast the starting 11 for, for the Lionesses. So to get, I mean, a one nil loss was, was tough, but not one that right now, one that I'll, I'll lose sleep over or, or really criticize them for. Yeah. I mean, certainly 
sound like a better performance from, from Everton, but obviously, you know, one win in the last five will be, be a bit of concern to Willie Kirk, won't it? So, fingers crossed they can, they can get back on track uh, against Birmingham on Thursday. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break again and then do a little preview for the men's teams uh, meeting with Burnley at Goodison on Saturday. Okay, just to finish off, um, I'm just going to wrap up with a quick review of uh, Everton versus Burnley. Uh, Pirates coming to Goodison on Saturday, March 13th, uh, with kickoff half five here in the UK and half twelve in the, the US on the East Coast. Um, Burnley, we're recording this on Tuesday. Burnley are 15th time recording. Uh, they're on 30 points, four clear of Fulham in 18th. Uh, but they haven't won in the last five. They've drawn four and lost one. Obviously got that draw with Arsenal on Saturday when Granit Xhaka seemed to lose all sense of footballing knowledge um, or intelligence. Um, I mean, the big one, I guess, is the fact... I mean, we've already seen us go one game without Corey because of his injury uh, against Chelsea. Do you... Who would you replace him with more sort of... Who do you think is the most natural replacement for Decore that's available to Antwerp at the moment? You know, I think that... That's really hard because, you know, Decore does it all. And one of the things I wrote about in, the, in this week's three thoughts is that out of the 14 wins Everton have this season, Decore has, has started or played in each of those. Right. And so what he gives you is, is kind of an extension of, of Ancelotti's mind on the field where he can push the ball forward. You know, I mean, he, he's sprinting forward in the 95th minute. Right. He can drop back should should Coleman or, or Holgate or, or Dean, you know, want to go forward. And then and then he's just kind of a stopper in, in the midfield. And so I don't I think that if you could kind of have a, an amalgamation of other players, you know, you have Alan with with his defensive capabilities, kind of Davis with with the passing, um, you know, I, I don't think that there's a like for like replacement. I think that you more try to compensate for his loss by having players in there who give you parts of what Decore will provide. Um, I, I am very happy that Alan is back and, and I hope that, uh, you know, his, his health will stay, will stay put. Um, and, and so I think that he will be even more vital to Everton's success in the middle of the field, just playing that role of, of screening the back line and then kind of disrupting play. But I, I think that there is, you know, we don't have a like-for-like like replacement, unfortunately. And, and Decore is really, really important to this team. Me, I would... So, if, if Tom Davies is fit to start, I think he... I would play him as the deepest midfielder. Um, I would then go Allen and Gomez. And then... I think if Hamas Rodriguez is back, then he would play the more advanced midfield role. I would certainly stick with the four midfielders as the narrow diamond. I think that suits us better because I don't think we get enough end product from our wingers, um, Bernard. And if you want to call it, it will be a winger, then it will be either. I just don't think you get enough of them in the final third. Um, Rodriguez, I think, should start if he's fit. If not, you could look at starting. It will be there. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if he goes for Sigurdsson, just because Sigurdsson's been more consistent lately um, and has actually come through with some goals and assists as well. So, but for me, I think, I think the most like Decore is probably Alan in terms of tenacity, 
and the sort of industry, but he's not got the same sort of physical maybe presence as Decore. He's not, you know, he's not as imposing as Decore. So in that sense, I don't think we have got anyone like Decore really. Um, I think we need more players like in the summer if we can. Um, but um, I, I think that midfield probably, to me, feels like it has quite a nice balance about it. You know, with with Davies at the base, Alan, Alan and Gomez in, in kind of the central positions, and then Rodriguez uh, ahead of them, feeding Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, hopefully. Um, I mean, is that the kind of system you'd, you'd go for as well? Do you, or would you, did you like the the experimentation against Chelsea, but just with different personnel this time? No, I, I think I think what you're proposing is is great. Um, you know, I think trying to get that the uh, you know kind of the your your uh, decore look like, if you will, with with Alan Davis if if he's fit. I would like Sigurdsson in there just for his passing abilities, and then like you say, having having Hamas in there just to to try to pick the passes and and break down a, a very stingy Burnley defense and and well organized team trying to find Richarlison and Calvert Lewin in the pockets of space to try to break them down. Um, so I, I think that that formation would be more effective against against what Burnley will will provide against us. I think the West Brom game might be a good good lesson for Ancelotti in this one because I, I know this one is at home and not away, but I'd maybe expect a similar kind of game plan from Burnley as we got from West Brom. And the fact that Ancelotti changed it after an hour to that diamond, I think that might influence his thinking for this one. Yeah, I, I think he would. He could definitely take elements of, of that game. Cause you know, West Brom or a team where it was clear that their game plan was sit back. Let's try to break on the counter. Can, can we, can we find that one, you know, moment of, of error that, that mistake. And, and I think that Burnley will, that that's how they play, right. That's kind of their, their thing, their, their MO. And so I, I think he'll look to see that and say, look, we, we kind of got this ugly win, but we got the win. We got the three points. You know, can I, can I kind of tinker with that lineup and, and use it to be effective against, against Burnley? What are, your, what are your thoughts on Burnley generally? What are you expecting from them on Saturday? Um, uh, definitely a, a back four of, you know, Tarkowski, me, Taylor Loughton. You know, he, Sean Dyche just is, is a creature of comfort, um, of, of habit. I mean, you know, and, and you know what you're going to get with him. He, he has, his lineups are pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, kind of a team that is going to be very well organized, very disciplined. Uh, they're not going to get caught out a lot. They're going to kind of be sticky in the middle and, and try to disrupt you. And so, I think it'll be a, a hard fought, a hard fought game, but you know, Burnley are very disciplined. They're well organized under Deitch and, and kind of, you know, can they, can they look to, to Viger or even Chris Wood up top on a set piece? Can they get them free to kind of find that moment of, of brilliance, if you will, to, to put one in, in that. I mean, they are disciplined, but you can't, I think you can unlock them. I think Tottenham showed that the other day, the other week when they, when they thrashed them 4-0, you know, they, they, they are where they are in the league for a reason, I think. And just because they might be stubborn and, and miserly at Goodison, I don't think Everton should be overawed by the challenge of Burnley at home. Um, and I would like to think as well that having... having I, think, I felt like the win at Anfield felt significant in that... that I know it was an away win, but that felt like a real corner turn. Felt like the Southampton win in a similar way was, was like that as well because we got the... The home win, sort of monkey off our backs. 
I'd like Everton just now to kind of kick on and find some find some consistency um, for the rest of the season, starting with with Saturday. Because like we said before, if we win Saturday, then Chelsea defeat is kind of not forgotten about, but more in the rear of, view. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're past it and we're over it. Um, you've got to take your take your take your lessons from that game and and move on from it. I think and. I think Burnley's quite a good game to follow it up with, to be honest. Um, how do you how do you see it going then? If I had to press you for a prediction, what are you gonna go for? I, I'm gonna say a one-nil win for, for yeah. Everton. I, I think that they do enough. I think that Burnley's another one of those teams that just kind of has the makings of one that will do enough in the game to to kind of limit offensive chances. But I think we take advantage um, and, and find a way to similarly similarly to the West Brom game, find a way to to or the South. Hampton game, get a one 0 win, get the result. Yeah, I think we'll have to be patient. I don't, you know, I don't think we don't really like thrashing anyone, do we? At the moment, um, and I don't think Burnley are the kind of team we're going to roll over. Uh, especially because they've still got a lot to play for. Obviously, in their position, they're not safe yet. Um, but it's a game I expect Everton to win. Um, it's a game that you know, let's be honest, they should win because they they have better players than Burnley. Um, they are, you know, as far ahead of Burnley as they are for a reason. Um, and in a way, I should think a draw in this game would even be more disappointing than the Chelsea defeat last night. Because um, if you want to finish top four, you need to. I feel like it's more okay if you want to finish at least in the European places. Then it's more about beating the teams you should beat rather than necessarily beating the teams around you. I feel like if you can just take three points home and away from the, low, the lower teams just across the board, then that stands you in good stead and it gives you a platform to, to kick on against the better teams. I think Evans' problem lately has been obviously they've dropped too many points against in games that they should be winning, like Fulham, uh, like Newcastle, home and away. Um, so, like I said, I, I feel like a corner was turned against Liverpool and Southampton. I don't think Chelsea... It's a massive bump in the road. It's a minor sort of blip. And I would expect a kind of return to form from Everton in this one. Um, and I'm going to go very boring and say the same as you because, like I said, we haven't, we haven't scored a, we haven't scored a Gladys Street, a goal in front of Gladys Street, which was a second half goal for I think, five months at Goodison. So we, we certainly don't batter teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, we should have enough to beat Burnley. Um, but we started, I've started before with a lot of people on this podcast and predicted Everton to win against teams who should be, so and they don't. So, um, famous last words, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, I, I think get, get over this one and then go into the Man City Cup game with you know, on a, on a, on a better note, and then whatever happens there happens, and then you go into the international break and come back with a few more winnable games against Palace and Brighton. Um, so it's a good platform for them to build off if they can win this one um, but like I said it's a tough game but I think we both expect a narrow narrow win uh, Ian thanks thanks so much for coming on today it's been really uh, lovely to chat to you about the highs and lows of this week and also obviously a bit about the women's team and look ahead to this week so yeah thanks for coming on again mate yeah absolutely it's, it's great to be back thanks very much thanks for listening um, obviously you know, on whatever platform you listen to us on, make sure you subscribe and follow and get the 
get the latest episodes as they come out. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, I hope with Gino. It is free. Um, but uh, yeah, just thanks for listening and hopefully we'll have the Everton win. So I'll talk about next week and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.